0: Welcome to Around the Block at Haas, a Here at Haas podcast focused on all things blockchain around all of Berkeley. We're chatting with Haasies, professors, blockchain entrepreneurs, and more. I'm your executive producer and co-host Paulina Lee,
1: and I'm your co-host Paul Brizick. I'm passionate about blockchain and super excited to introduce those around campus who are innovating in the crypto space. So
0: today we welcome to the Here at Haas podcast our newest series on blockchain. I have a new host with me, Paul, today, and we are so excited for our two guests. We're gonna have them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit why Berkeley and why blockchain. Who would like to go first?
2: Thank you, Paul and Felina for having us on. Really appreciate the time you guys are taking today. It's amazing to see how much the blockchain ecosystem even here at Berkeley has exploded over the past couple of years. We're really thrilled to be on the podcast today. So for a quick little intro, my name is Rathan. I'm currently a third year here at Berkeley studying electronic engineering computer science, otherwise known as Eeks. and I'm currently one of the presidents at blockchain at Berkeley. I've been pretty involved in the blockchain space over the past two to two and a half years. Everyone gets in the space in their own way, and that's one of the most fascinating parts about all of it. For me, it was doing a couple of presentations on blockchain to one of my classes in high school. I will say that presentation was not as refined as I wish it was today, but still very happy that I made that before coming to Berkeley. I came in from really more of a developer standpoint i had built out a crypto liquidation bot uh, using a flash loan framework we can dive into that a little bit later but essentially it's a really cool aspect of decentralized finance which is nailed by smart contracts a lot of buzzwords but how to get that out there and since coming to berkeley really for me what i wanted to do was find an area where i could take both ownership and make impact And working in a novel field with incredibly smart people is one of the best ways to do that. So in spring of my freshman year, I had the opportunity to join Blockchain at Berkeley as a developer consultant, ran through our internal project process, built out a P2P energy sharing microgrid application. After that, I worked at a quantitative hedge fund doing DeFi trading strategies, which was a lot of fun back in March of 2020. For those of you that are familiar, there was not much stuff going on in DeFi today. (laughs) There is a lot more than that. So definitely a, a very interesting time to be in this space. It essentially went from a billion dollars in total value locked to over 10 to 20 billion. By the time my internship ended today, that number stands at about 200 billion. So for a little bit of context, that's a 200 X in about a year and a half in this space, which is incredible to be a part of. After that, I led a project within Blockchain at Berkeley with Dapper Labs, which runs NBA TopShot as well as CryptoKitties and the Flow blockchain. We were building out a decentralized exchange using a language called Cadence, which was a lot of fun. Then worked on a project with Token Terminal, had the opportunity to get involved with our accelerator, initially as a student fellow, which is a very unique program, and then had the opportunity to lead it as a director alongside Jocelyn Weber, who's the deputy director over at UC Berkeley's RDI, which is a blockchain center. And after that, had the opportunity to become president over here at Blockchain Berkeley and work at Coinbase in the past. have been dabbling with governance, DeFi, all these different threads, but Obviously, I want to leave some time here for Daria to talk as well. I feel like I've been talking for a while, so I'll go ahead and hand it off to my co-president, Daria.
3: Hi, everyone. Yes, just like Bretton said, we're really excited to be here. Thank you so much, Paul and Paulina. My name is Daria. I'm a third year. I'm also majoring in electrical engineering and computer science, but also minoring in ethnic studies. To answer the question, why Berkeley? It all started when I was about 10 and my dad, great guy pretty much laid out three potential options for my major. He was like, you can get a bachelor's degree in computer science, computer science, or computer science. And so from then on, I kind of knew what I was gonna do from an early age. And why Berkeley? Well, I did competitive debate in high school and there was this incredible annual tournament that is still hosted by Berkeley. And I completely fell in love with the campus. I loved how hilly it was and how much character it had in the buildings and I remember like seeing other campuses like UCLA's that were very like clean and and beautiful but there was just something special about Berkeley that always made me obsess over it and want to come here. The way I got into blockchain was quite interesting. I actually had a pretty close friend who was in the organization and I just did what first semester freshmen do and went to an info session at UC Berkeley not even knowing what blockchain is. And I remember the president at the time, Gloria Zhao, which is now a Bitcoin core contributor, was iterating through the slides that I present now at Info Sessions. And she really, really inspired me to the extent where I had always known that I wanted to leverage some kind of revolutionary technology to build out and help curate a society that is more what I think aligns with my values. And from that moment on, I knew that blockchain technology was going to play a role in that journey. And I also knew that not only did I want to build something really cool in the space, but I wanted to help lead a community of people who were doing that. So after joining, I joined as a developer my first semester. I worked on an e-payment platform for peer-to-peer transactions between micro entrepreneurs in Latin America. Then I hopped onto an external project as a developer on Oasis. and then for about a year i led and also was a developer on a project with unicef where they essentially approached us and told us to build something that leverages schools as an economic hub and that really transitioned into what is today satchel which is my personal project that i'm really excited about focused around leveraging defi in order to bank underbank communities around the world centered around education and schools on the administrative side Starting off my second semester in blockchain at Berkeley, I was the director of ops, spearheading recruitment. After that, I was head of internal for about a year, leading our finance, social, and operations departments. And after that, I became president with Bretton. And I think that the main reason I'm in this space, and that I'm so excited about it, is that I really see the opportunity for this technology to reconfigure the way that bureaucratic societal entities operate and the social dynamics between power players in the universe because we have gotten to a point in society where money is power and i think that this is the way that we can leverage that in order to give people that power that needed the most amazing you guys did
0: great i mean for one as someone who's in my last semester of grad school and 10 plus years older than both of you it's very inspiring to see the passion and the expertise that you guys have built in such a short time And so I think one reason we wanted to do this sub-series within here at Haas is because the space is everywhere, it seems like, across Twitter, across every single news feed that you have, like something is going on in the blockchain. And Paul, being our blockchain expert on our team, had been bugging us about doing something in blockchain with the podcast. And I was finally like, you know what, the reason why we haven't is because I have no idea what's going on. And so let's just do it and see what happens. And so I'd love to just take a step back and have each of you help us explain and walk us through some of the foundations of what blockchain is, how it got to where it is today. And then I'll lean on Paul to help surface some of the different terms that we've been throwing around. And then we'll get into a little bit of the blockchain at Berkeley. And it looks like Daria, that you've been uh, nominated to answer that question on like, what is blockchain? If you had to explain in call it five minutes, what is it in the most simplest sense? I guess I'll do the sort of like lead up
3: that I typically do at info sessions, just yeah. to make it the most clear possible. The biggest thing that we always start off with at InfoSessions is talking about how blockchain is a technological solution to a social problem. And that really helps motivate the reason that this incredibly powerful data structure exists today. It all rose out of a problem with centralization. We have these large scale centralized institutions, be it corporations, governments or banks that we are incredibly over reliant on and we're not necessarily given other options. At that point, these entities gain massive leverage over our daily lives and they oftentimes serve a very, very small class of people and take really, really risky profit maximizing practices. So in the 90s, you have these groups that were incredibly resistant towards the centralization called the cypherpunks and crypto anarchists which were libertarian groups that were very concerned with specifically privacy. And they advocated for cryptography as a really, really important tool in order to enhance values of privacy in our daily lives. So after those ideologies were really out there in the open, you have people who are incredibly smart coming together and experimenting with cryptography, economic incentive models, as well as decentralized infrastructure. And then at that point, Bitcoin came out during the Great Recession in 2008 and became the first blockchain and the most popular use case for the technology to this day. The reasoning behind blockchain is we want to decentralize and democratize ownership and inch towards a society such that the systems that we currently rely on that are so, so dependent on third parties are now gonna be open to disintermediation when we leverage public blockchains. So in the most simple terms, Blockchain is a method of sharing data amongst multiple parties that ensures both data integrity without requiring trust. And the primary components are first a distributed ledger, which basically means it's a shared database where everyone who's part of the network is going to be holding a copy. And you also have these key themes of immutability and transparency, which inherently makes it so that data committed to the blockchain cannot be changed down the line. So there's two main questions that come up when we think about how a blockchain is able to work when you don't have that central figure. So the first is, how is it trustless? How is it verifiable? How can we make sure that if we don't have the PayPal's and the Venmo's of the world making decisions, we can do that for ourselves and ensure that you have identity and integrity verified on the blockchain. And the answer to that is cryptography. There's two things we want to verify that blockchain permits us to do. The first is identity, and the second is integrity. On the identity level, you have cryptography allowing users of the blockchain to prove they are who they are using public-private key pairs. And from an integrity standpoint, contents of blocks are hashed, creating fingerprints that must match with all other participants in the network. The next question is how we actually make decisions, and that's something called consensus, which allows us to determine what information really gets put on the blockchain and seals the deal, while preventing malicious actors from cheating in the system the primary consensus mechanism that's leveraged by blockchains today is proof of work which essentially ties computational resources to voting power you have these folks who are called miners competing to validate blocks and you need 51 of all hash power to overtake the network which is incredibly large and prevents any one malicious actor from overtaking the network another one that is likely more environmentally friendly, but also has problems of its own, is called proof of stake, which instead operates by randomly selecting validators with sufficient stake collateral to perform the computational work to validate the blocks. And at that point, it's even harder to overtake because 51% of crypto associated with that particular chain is necessary to overtake the network. So then there are a lot of other updates in the space that are quite groundbreaking. And it's all focused around what's called a smart contract, which is code that facilitates, verifies, or enforces the negotiation or execution of a digital contract. And all you need to happen is that a trusted entity must run this code. And people are doing incredible things in the space, leveraging smart contracts today, including DAOs, NFTs, and DeFi, which I'll let Retin talk about. Awesome. Now,
0: just to pause there, too, from like a technical aspect, how is a blockchain built And how does that work in a sense?
2: Essentially, how blockchain typically works is that whenever you're deploying it, you see this idea of trustless deployments, right? You want to make sure that when you deploy a blockchain, you have a wide enough validator set. These are the people, either the miners or the validators, who are ensuring that the transactions in the network are actually what they say they are, right? How do you ensure that you have a broad enough set of people that are valuing and mining the transactions to ensure that? whenever it's deployed, you actually are getting the kind of requirements and benefits of blockchain that are warranted, right? You want to have a decentralized system that's immutable and transparent. There's a lot of different ways to spin it up. I think at a high level, the way that I like to think about it is that there are specific kinds of blockchains. So you have ones like Bitcoin, which really center around the cryptocurrency itself, there isn't really this idea of smart contracts, right? There's no such thing as a virtual or Turing complete machine. This concept that you can run like for loops or code that can happen like smart contracts continuously. So you have Bitcoin on one hand, which is a very cryptocurrency focused blockchain. The entire point is to have a transparent and decentralized system for conducting transactions between owners in the network. There are people who actually hold the tokens themselves. On the other hand you have blockchains like ethereum which is one of the main proponents and one that kind of embodies this idea of having smart contracts one of these only blockchains that really does that and essentially what ethereum has is that turing complete machine you have this idea of smart contracts being able to deploy code that can then be run by other participants in the network in a trustless way that's what lets you build these complex applications that can then be leveraged to say approach these industries such as defi nfts daos that we see within the ecosystem today
0: help walk us through some of the use cases of blockchain so obviously crypto from bitcoin obviously doge was a lot in the news last (laughs) year we see blockchain being applied to supply chain and many different use cases you've talked a little bit about defi so explaining that so i would love for you guys to walk us through a couple of those and any others that paul has too
2: I can go ahead and give you a history of at least my opinion on the space. I think the space today is too broad for any one person to really be able to articulate everything that's going on, but I'll try my best. In this era of 2008, right, to 2015, where really Bitcoin was one of the main blockchains, if not the only one where a lot of the hype centered around, you really had this only central idea that blockchains can be used to facilitate both anonymous, transparent, and decentralized transactions. That's the idea behind it. a peer-to-peer payment network. Obviously there's things that move beyond that with Bitcoin, but that's where that center of Bitcoin stands. From 2015 to 2017, you had the evolution of people building on top of Ethereum. How do we experiment with smart contracts in ways that replace existing societal institutions in a more effective way? How do we leverage these new data structures, these new systems to impact society? And ways that we've already seen but can be made more effective via automation via smart contracts in 2017 to 2019 there's more of this evolution of okay blockchain is new blockchain can have impact but blockchain is also dangerous when the market crashed in 2017 a lot of people were hurt you had people that were speculating both on ethereum where the price dropped nearly 80 to 90 percent same with bitcoin and so a lot of this interest and hype around it of wow what can we do with this technology turned into how do we regulate it and how do we use it in a more safe way that's where you see this evolution of both enterprise blockchains permission blockchains private blockchain supply chain use cases that are more honestly reserved in the way they approach blockchain really again not even as broad as what we saw in 2015 to 2017 but more of okay here are very specific use cases we need transparent and decentralized and immutable systems like supply chain where these can be applied But in all honesty, my personal take on supply chain is that it's much too solid of a use case to really prove effective in actually uplifting institutions. Yes, you're improving automation. Yes, you're improving efficacy. But in all honesty, how many people are really touching supply chain? So I think how you move beyond that in 2018 to 2020 is you now have people that are incredibly sold in the space, right? They've seen this evolution, both regulation, but with the way that people are approaching crypto and now are able to experiment with more unique aspects of crypto that are essentially crypto native, right? You have this new idea of DeFi that kind of rose out of MakerDAO, which deployed DAI, which is known as one of the first decentralized stable coins. Essentially, how do you create these stable coins that are actually blockchain native? And this was one that was deployed on the Ethereum blockchain. Then from that, you have new ones like Compound that came out of that, additional platforms that essentially were building on similar concepts, how do you create money markets, how do you create derivatives, how do you create AMMs or exchanges on blockchains. And so that's where like Uniswap compound MakerDAO kind of came up, And that was really the focus from I think 2018 to 2020 as supply chain use cases, more general use cases kind of died out, DID. Healthcare management obviously is still pretty effective, but in all honesty, healthcare systems are very difficult to evolve over time as we've even seen with traditional ones. They still run software from the 1990s. Like my mom's a doctor. It it is absolutely ridiculous to use those systems, right? You have to hold like six different passcodes There's no integration with like password managers they're writing stuff by hand typing it out by computer just not very effective systems what people realize is you're much better off leveraging impactful technology to improve sectors that are fast moving how do you leverage these new systems to improve other existing systems that both are willing to accept new technology and secondly are ripe for disruption so when you take a look from that perspective you have this evolution of DeFi, which happened really during the summer of 2020 took the lead narrative after the fall of really DeFi that came out of a lot of different factors revolving around both hybrid deployment, a lot of liquidity being in the market already and not enough institutional buy-in. You see the evolution of a couple of new ideas which evolved over the course of 2021. I think the first obviously was NFTs. It's very easy to say that 2021 was the year of NFTs. I think every single cycle with blockchain, people say this is the biggest cycle. Obviously, it's the biggest cycle, right? There's a reason why it's a cycle. And so in that way, you really see that NFTs both are not just adopted within the blockchain community, but are adopted in the broader community and gives people something that lets them hold community. In 2017, Bitcoin and Ethereum, if you held them, you were a part of that community. Today, I want to say around 15% of people in the U.S. own cryptocurrency and a larger percentage of that even existing within younger demographics, people that are active on social media holding Bitcoin Ethereum is really not enough anymore for people to consider themselves part of community and part of trends. And at the end of the day, the reason why social media exists, the reason why community exists online is so people can feel a sense of ownership and feel a sense of community in that way. NFTs give you a way to do that. The issue with that is that when it is very easy to spin up community, you also see a lot of MLMs, a lot of scams that happen with that community as well. That's not to say that the space is not incredibly impactful. That is to say, though, when you have these new and breaking technologies, it's very easy to be exploited, especially with a space like blockchain. However, on the other hand, you have incredibly impactful things that are happening in that space. You have utility tokens, users, NFTs, fractional ownership in real estate, the tokenization of real world assets, and a lot of other areas, which I believe hold a lot of long-term value. But I think as we have all seen, these kinds of concepts take not only weeks, not only months, but years to really develop, as we've been seeing with DeFi. And so this evolution is not going to happen from a day-to-day basis, but more over the course of a longer time span. And so that's where NSC came out of. There was also DAOs, which are known as decentralized autonomous organizations. Essentially, they spin out of this fact that people want to coalesce community in an effective way that's also automated. So this whole idea of automation is a leading factor in blockchain, right? The entire point of why we have these systems is that existing systems have too much friction. They're not standardized in some ways and they don't really impact the ability to spin up organizations quickly. It's very difficult to spin up community traditionally. When you put that into a smart contract and make that replicable and automated in that way, it makes it much easier to create community on a large scale. And so that's really where DAOs came out of. You have a lot of cool ones like Pleasure Dow, which is an exclusive DAO. They do a lot of like massive buys of foot NFTs and varied high level art. Think of them like a high level art collective. They do a lot of cool stuff, lead culture in that way. You also have a lot of DAOs that are spin out of this idea of, okay, we want to have more consolidated communities around, you have like developer DAO, which is a group of developers who are trying to learn to educate people, you have like web 3 baddies. I'm not sure if they're a DAO, but there's a lot of other cool DAOs that are also happening in this space that are focused on very specific initiatives that have impact and essentially need a way to coalesce that community around that. One that I'm really not that bullish on is metaverse, in all honesty. There's, I think, a lot of hype around it and not a lot of utility being driven. You need to go through a down cycle to understand what really the utility of a technology is. People hype up a lot of things a lot, but they don't really build effective things on them. So I'll stay a little bit against that for now, but I will say the main three kind of use cases that I've seen are DeFi, NFTs, and, and DAOs that have really evolved over the past couple years. First, I would want to really thank you guys
1: for coming on, Daria and Rutten. It's right now recruiting season for blockchain at Berkeley. So on top of the classes, they have a full schedule recruiting, interviewing, and getting the new cohort in. And I wanted to highlight that Coindesk you know, ranked Berkeley the best place in the country to learn blockchain. and. I really want to show love that it's a lot of the work that you guys are personally doing running the club. And there's so many different branches that I want to touch on, whether it goes from the education branch of Blockchain at Berkeley, there's an accelerator, and I know Daria is even working on an idea that initiated within the club and looks to now go to its own startup. So definitely wanted to shine some light on Satchel and with the social impact that's going on.
3: Yeah, Blockchain at Berkeley has three main departments as well as some external initiatives to highlight. So our three main departments are going to be consulting, education, and research. So the consulting department, you have groups of five to eight different consultants that come together, coming from design backgrounds, business backgrounds, and developer backgrounds, and they create a proof of concept for our client. So it's really focused on creating a full-fleshed POC, for someone who's working with us and wants our expertise in that field. Next is the education department, which is really responsible for creating a lot of the primary educational content to this day. If you go on edX and search of blockchain, the first two results are actually from blockchain at Berkeley. We have an edX that has had over 200,000 students internationally, and we teach two classes here on campus, our fundamentals course, as well as our developers course. And our objective with the education department is really to make blockchain technology as accessible to as many communities as possible around the world. And finally, we have our research department, which has two primary branches. So we have our freeform research projects. There's much more liberty to take with our research department than other departments. Essentially, anyone who's interested in pursuing a project and getting funding for it is able to do so by putting forth a proposal and working with our executive team in order to make their idea come to life and learn more about a particular topic that they're extremely interested in. We also have our DeFi governance initiative where we're large delegates for some leading DeFi protocols, and we get to actually influence and steer the direction of the ways in which they operate. So those are our primary departmental initiatives. We also have a lot of external initiatives. Uh, we just launched BAB grants at blockchain.berkeley.edu slash grants, which we're really excited about. We partnered with BIDDAO, which is help funding the initiative. Our first wave is over $250,000 of dilutive and non-dilutive grants. And so the objective here is really to help not only Blockchain and Berkeley students thrive and build and create in the blockchain space, but also allow other early stage student founders, researchers and thinkers to build and have the capital that they need to do that from the get-go. So we're really excited about that initiative in particular. We also have partnered with SCAT and also collaborated with Cos on the Berkeley Blockchain Accelerator, which we're really, really proud of. It is the number one university-based blockchain accelerator in the United States and arguably the world. We are incredibly proud of the work that we've done. Rutland can probably dive more into the accelerator since he used to be the director. But essentially, the way it works is it's non-dilutive. So we don't take anything from those startups. We just help incubate them, allow them to refine their pitch decks and grow within the connections and the resources, whether it's pro bono legal health or collaborating with different large scale players in the industry. The accelerator really helps startups that are early stage or even have progressed quite a bit grow exponentially and also really stimulates their funding as well. So that's our accelerator. Another external initiative that we kickstarted this past semester is the Berkeley blockchain ecosystem. We realized that we are a limited organization and we only have bandwidth to really have people staffed on projects at a certain scale but the community is becoming so much more mainstream and there's so many people that want a part in it and we want to engage the entire Berkeley ecosystem. So we started hosting these monthly ecosystem meetups that are at the beginning of each month held in Sket, and we are incredibly excited about the community that we've been able to build out there. We also created a resource hub as well as a mentorship matching program to get people the resources that they need in order to be successful and also get their first introductions into the space. We've also hosted incredible speakers at these meetups. Notably, we had Joey, who's the founder of Faye Protocol, come and speak. And just this week, we have Sunny, who's the co-founder of Osmosis, and a Bab alum who is coming to speak with us. So we're really, really excited about the ecosystem. And we're also really passionate about ensuring that Anyone in the Berkeley campus who wants to get involved into the blockchain space has a de facto place to go in order to make the connections and find the community that they need.
1: That's amazing. And if you can highlight some of the successful startups that came out of the accelerator, I know a few with Open, as you mentioned, the Babylon with Osmosis, and currently there's one called Mooch that I'm familiar with. But if you could just mention any of the cool startups.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think there's been a lot of great companies obviously coming out of the Berkeley ecosystem. For the ones coming out of the accelerator, a couple of cool ones I had to point out are Acala, which is the DeFi hub over on Polkadot. You also have A-Star Network, which is also a significant player in the Polkadot ecosystem. Beyond that, Alluvio, which does a lot of work when it comes to decentralized content creation and recently had a $100 million round led by Fox in the past year. In all accelerator companies, which there have been 85 total over the past three years since the accelerator started back in January 2018, have raised over $420 million in follow-on funding since joining the accelerator. The vast majority of those companies coming in had raised no money before coming to the accelerator or only pre-seed funding. So that number is incredible in terms of the impact and they're doing incredible work over there. And I'm very proud to say that's been coming out of Berkeley. In terms of ones that have come out of blockchain at Berkeley, there's a couple of cool ones, very incredible in my opinion, at least that a group of students have created so much impact in the space, and they're really some incredible people to look up to. Open, as mentioned, is a DeFi options protocol on Ethereum. They also recently launched Squeeth, which is ETH squared, a token, which is also available on Ethereum as well. Beyond that, you have Evmos, which is an EVM compatible Cosmos chain. You also have Osmosis, which is a DeFi hub on Cosmos as well. Beyond that, there's a couple of cool initiatives like SF Blockchain Week, which is also founded by Blockchain Berkeley alumni that ran and had over 5,000 attendees back in 2019. There's also She256, which promotes diversity in blockchain for both women and non-binary folks doing a lot of incredible work. And there's even a couple active ones in Blockchain of Berkeley right now. I won't touch on them because a couple of them are stealth, but a couple of cool initiatives coming out as well and a bunch more that I haven't mentioned that are also doing a lot of incredible work in this space.
0: That's amazing. And I think what's so interesting too is so obviously our Here at Haas podcast is really focused on the Haas graduate side. And I think the work that you guys are doing also shows just the vast and rich ecosystem that exists at Berkeley. Would love for you to share how people can get involved. I know there's obviously the technical side that but just for people who also want to learn more about the space coming from MBA backgrounds. Because I think the joke is always MBAs are useless without a technical founder, which is always great to hear when you're about to graduate. But just would love for you guys to share kind of how MBAs get involved and like what the application process is currently.
2: Yeah, definitely. So what I'll say to this is there's an incredible number of ways to get involved in the blockchain space that don't necessarily just even go through blockchain or Berkeley. One of the biggest cool parts of the blockchain space is that for the most part, anytime you ask a question, you'll have about a dozen people answering that question by the time that question finishes typing. So there's a lot of resources that are out there. A couple of cool like to point out are Gabby Goldberg's Guide to Web3. There's also a lot of readings by Vitalik, who's the founder of Ethereum, who posts very important and interesting writings on the space as a whole. Blockchain Berkeley also runs our fundamentals decal. All of this information is completely open source, same with the as the edX course which also has fully open sourced all the information that's taught. I definitely recommend starting with the fundamentals and then diving into applications. It's very easy to get lost in current events without a full understanding of what's going on. So the way I like to approach it is you see something you don't understand, you dive into it, you understand it, and then you go back to the original article and try to dive through it even more. I think when it comes to getting involved in the break system, a really cool story, which I'd actually like to point out is since running our ecosystem meetups, we actually had someone who attended one of our meetups and then got hired as the CMO of say protocol, which was very, very cool to see. So with these kinds of opportunities, what I'd say is it's all about putting yourself out there. The worst thing you can do for yourself is if you're interested in something, not explore it because you're intimidated by it. The only way you can overcome it really is by putting the time and the effort and reaching out to people. Because even if most people don't respond, at least a couple of people will, and within crypto, most of them will. And if that's the case, you will learn a lot more there. When it comes to opportunities in blockchain Berkeley, Paul, one of the hosts over here, is a business consultant with blockchain at Berkeley. We've had a lot of MBAs in the past as well. who have done a lot of incredible work in the space. A couple I'd like to point out are Kate, Justine, Ashley, and Dimitri, all of whom are doing incredible work in the space. Dimitri is actually a research partner over at 1KX Network, which is one of the more leading research firms when it comes to the blockchain industry and the blockchain space as a whole. They do incredible research and Dimitri continues to post incredible stuff. When it comes to MBAs in general, and Paul really epitomizes this, a lot of MBAs are incredible when it comes to synthesizing, understanding, and analyzing information. The important thing is picking the right information to do that on. I think for me, where I've seen the most impact is when there's a new field, pick an area that's not hyped, or rather one that is valued, and that's typically a good place to start. So looking at what are traditional VCs looking at, there's a couple of cool areas within crypto gaming, DeFi, NFTs. I would say my personal opinion is straight from the metaverse, but to each their own. So dive into what you want to dive into. I think there's a lot of fascinating areas. And the best thing you can do for yourself is putting out impactful research on a public scale and getting opinions on it. Because the worst thing you can do is do research and then not expose it to the world. The best way you learn is through criticism, constructive, hopefully, but for the most part, criticism that helps. And so that's probably what I'd say would be the most impactful for most people in this space when it comes to learning. And I think there's an incredible number of opportunities if you're willing to put yourself out there.
1: That's one thing that attracted me to the club is the fact that it's open across all majors. And it's primarily driven by really smart computer science and electrical engineering undergrads, but it's open to masters, MBAs, some PhDs. I was interviewed by a PhD through the interview process at BAB. So there's really a high technical caliber people there. I wanted to step it back to one more basic question to leave the audience with is when you're trying to analyze if a problem should be using blockchain or not, it seems like there's a tendency now to just throw the buzzword blockchain at everything. And it will be a great idea because we will have a token and we need a token. So I think there's a lot of confusion when you should actually use this tech and really how to think about it. What's maybe a good example of when not to use blockchain and maybe when it really is needed?
2: Paul, you bring up a very important point here. I think the question when to use blockchain is nearly as important as when not to use a blockchain. And too often we see people trying to plug blockchain into areas where it should not be plugged into. The main drawing factor that I like to use is, one, do you want your system to be interoperable with other systems long-term? Two, is transparency as important as you want it to be? And three, is decentralization a component of your system? If you're able to answer all three of those questions, an affirmative yes, typically it can make sense to explore the blockchain system. However, if that's not the case, a public blockchain is not typically the way that I like to go at it. Diving into each of those specific ones, when you are taking a look at the system that you're creating, you really want to make sure that the cryptocurrency or the token incentives that you're making in these systems have a purpose beyond just the system that they're in. An isolated application that holds cryptocurrencies or tokens for users really is no different than an in-game reward. And so when you're experimenting with it in that way, not only does the blockchain system add both more weight and more technical bloat to your system, but it also adds complexity. And so if you don't plan for your system, your product, your startup to be integrating with other startups in the same industry, there's really not that much of a point of having a token involved. The second really dives into, do you want your data to be immutable? Blockchain systems makes it very difficult to eliminate data off the blockchain. Obviously, that's the entire point of it is that once there's a record of it, that can't be deleted. And so in that way, it's very important to make sure the data that you're adding to the blockchain is both what your users want to be adding, and secondly, not information that you're going to be required to delete later. So when you take a look in specific uses like healthcare, You don't want to be putting HIPAA-compliant information on the blockchain because there is a lot of difficulty in getting that off the blockchain if it's even possible. And the third is decentralization. There isn't really a point in having a blockchain system if you're not going to give ownership to the community in some way in most instances, because what typically happens is that blockchain systems at a protocol layer are governed by a broad set of validators. At an application layer, you want this same concept to arise you want to give people an incentive, tokens, rewards, they're interoperable across multiple platforms, can be extrapolated to multiple areas that also enable them to take ownership in the system they're creating and take the onus off of the people who are initially creating the system. So systems like Uniswap, which is a decentralized exchange on Ethereum, have distributed their tokens to the users of the platform in the hopes that they'll govern the system long term. However, what comes with that is that you cannot innovate and iterate on your product as effectively, if the community turns against the initial product players, you no longer have ownership over your product. And so there's a lot of considerations to weigh when you're implementing blockchain, but those are the main ones that I take a look at.
3: Yeah, I can also hop in here. One thing that is really cool about blockchain technology is that while it evolves so fast, certain themes and decision-making processes stay the same over time. And one of our former heads of consulting, Wesley Graham, when he was in the organization, created this incredible flowchart and published it, which essentially walks you through the process of narrowing it down from, hey, do I even need a database to whether you should be using blockchain as that database? So at a very high level, the first question to ask is, do I need a database? If not, then you absolutely don't need a blockchain to store your information. The next thing that you need to ask is if you have several users that will be leveraging your system. If there aren't going to be numerous users at a large scale, then you probably want to lean towards a centralized database. But if it is the case that you want many, many users updating your database, then you move on to the next point, which you need to ask if your users actually need to trust each other. And if it is the case that they don't necessarily need to trust each other at all, then you can pivot towards using several different kinds of centralized databases. But if it is the case that the users need to trust each other, then you move on to the next point, which is, oh, are there issues actually being generated by a third party intermediary? I.e. is there a rampant need for disintermediation within this particular system? If it is the case that you actually want a third party or an intermediary responsible for a certain decision making process then you probably don't want to be leveraging a blockchain but if it is the case that it is the final question to ask is are transactions or the information being stored dependent on one another and if it is the case that that is a yes that is the final question of meaning to use a blockchain i really like this model because it allows you to look at the problem from a very, very, very high level of, do I even need a database whatsoever? And then narrowing it down to very, very particular data structures. And finally landing at whether you need a blockchain. And even though this is far outdated in comparison to the decision-making pipelines that Rutland was outlining of modern day, I think it's really incredible that the infrastructure and the ideas that we put out from the blockchain at Berkeley side remain pertinent over time and are still questions that are being asked years later. Oh, that's super helpful. I find it fascinating how passionate you guys are
0: about this space, how passionate you guys are about not just the tech, but the philosophy that underlines blockchain, I think is something that I've learned in terms of what the whole aim is, like what is its purpose, not just what it does on a technical aspect or what it accomplishes from a business standpoint. So I appreciate you guys sharing everything. We'll dive into an episode just on Paul so he can understand an MBA's view of blockchain and his involvement at Blockchain at Berkeley. And we'll also be able to share a lot of the resources that you guys shared out today and link those in the show notes. But as we wrap up for today, anything else you'd want to share about Blockchain at Berkeley as a club or anything you'd like to put out to the MBA community?
1: It'd be great to have a future episode just on Satchel, but maybe you can give a quick elevator pitch.
3: Satchel rose out of Blockchain at Berkeley. It's founded by three UC Berkeley Inc. students, including myself. And it originally began as a collaboration between blockchain, Berkeley, and UNICEF. And the core features of the platform are that you have savings accounts and loans that are targeted for underbanked school communities. And we leverage PT5 protocols to do that. We split yield generated from these savings accounts between individuals and schools. And the objective is really to garner individual and local socioeconomic mobility. We also facilitate community governance over satchel-wide decisions and locally funded school projects, as well as tax-deductible contributions to school communities in need around the world. And the reason that we're doing this is to uplift underbank school communities by really facilitating locally governed projects, as well as high-scale capital growth via DeFi-powered donations, as well as financial primitives.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's really inspiring to hear not only the passion for the space, but the social impact. And it's one of the defining leadership principles at Haas is going beyond yourself and it's completely exemplified with Darian Rutten. So I want to thank you again for spending the time to give a general overview of blockchain space. And the only thing I'm left with is there's so many topics that need further explanations, DAOs, NFTs, the whole DeFi space governance. So I really look forward to the future series.
0: Yeah. Thanks for coming on guys. It sounds like we're going to need to have y'all come back and continue to help hold my hand and walk me through all these topics. Paul's probably an expert as well. So we're in this together. We're excited to share everything that you guys are doing, everything that's going on in this space and attempt to help demystify it for a lot of people. So thanks so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you for having us. Really appreciate you guys reaching out and very excited to see where this podcast goes. It's really incredible to see one about blockchain in specific.
3: Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. We had a great time chatting with you.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Around the Block at Haas. If you're interested in a specific blockchain topic, please email us at haaspodcasts with an s at berkeley.edu. Until next time, this is Paul.
0: And this is Paulina. And we'll see you around the block.